Well, let's face it. We, uh, as Christians, don't feel confident or courageous in sharing our faith with other people. Am I right? We don't feel comfortable. We feel like we might say the wrong thing. Maybe we don't know what to say. Maybe we feel like we're just going to lose it and say things that are going to hurt people's feelings. So often we either um, say things that are inappropriate or opinionated, or we stay quiet and we don't say anything at all. What makes it even harder is when a spiritual conversation starts and we feel like it's going kind of well, then somebody says something that just kills the conversation. This is where our new series uh, came from. One of our pillars here is evangelism. We want to help you learn to share your faith with other people. When you're in a spiritual conversation with somebody, whether it's your brother or your boss or whoever, there are certain things that people will often say. And last week we had our first conversation killer. What was last week? Do you remember what it was? What did people say? Why should I care about your little old mythical book? Meaning when someone says the Bible is a problem, the conversation is over unless you know what to say. Do you remember the first question last week that I encouraged you to ask? The question was what? Do you think God speaks? See how a question will keep the conversation going. This is a unique sermon series. Ordinarily, we have a book of the Bible and we're going verse by verse through it. And we'll get back to that. But I'm training you and me how to sustain a spiritual conversation. That's the whole point of the series, especially when someone says something that kills the conversation. So today, the topic is this. Well, all religions basically teach the same thing. Now, how many of you have heard somebody say that? Or how many of you have had somebody say that to you? We're like, well, you know, all religions really teach the same thing. Now, the conversation's over. You could have just talked about what Jesus means to you. You could have quoted scripture. You could have told amazing stories of what God's done in your life. And then they look at you and say, well, all religions basically teach the same thing. Conversation, kapow, is over. It's dead, unless you know what to say next. This is a very prominent way people try and make sense of the religious world today. There are other forms of this conversation killer. People will say, well, Jesus isn't the only way. How many of you have heard that one? Well, Jesus isn't the only way. Well, what you said can be just fine, but there are other ways too. Other times people will say, how can you tell everyone else they're wrong? So you're right and everyone else is wrong. That's a bit more of an accusatory model. Um, Jesus isn't the only way. So people are trying to reduce many faiths down to their common intersections. Simple things like, well, there's a higher power. Be good. You'll go to heaven. And based on the few things that all of other religions have in common, they say, well, they all must basically teach the same thing. Now, Oprah put together what she calls her finest work of her life. It was a series called Belief. We've got a few pictures from this series, and Oprah herself put it together. It's called Belief. It came out a few years ago on her network. And in an interview about the series, she said this, you cannot move through life without a belief system, whether that's art, music, fashion, science, or God. Whatever you devote yourself to, that's your belief. In the interview, she talked about how compassion, kindness, and love connects all faiths. And she said, religion is a yearning for something beyond yourself. Everyone has to find their own spiritual path. This is what it sounds like when people are taking all the religions, putting them together and saying, well, you just have to find your own, and they are all basically the same anyway. That's what it sounds like today. Are you ready for when someone says that in a conversation? Are you ready to know what to say next? Well, let's pray, and then we'll find out how we handle this. Father, we praise you because you are a God who loves the world. You sent your only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you that you love the world. And it's a big world full of many faiths. So help us today to learn how to talk about these things. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You can open up to Acts 17. The format of the sermon is we're going to have a testimony from the Apostle Paul. And um, we're, he's going to show us how he shared his faith on his second missionary journey. So Acts chapter 17 then I'm going to talk about all the world religions and kind of what they believe. And it might be a little overwhelming today. My goal is to cover a lot of ground. So you might feel like you need to come back and watch this one again online or listen to it on the podcast, okay? But it's going to be a resource for you. So if you're like, I can't keep up, it's okay. 
we're recording it. <laughs> and then at the end, I'm actually going to do the open mic again, where if you have a question that you want an answer to, or if you have someone else asking you a question, we're going to have somebody walking around. So get ready to throw your question up here too. Here we are in Acts uh, chapter 17, and you can write this down, number one in your bulletin. We must bravely share our faith with grace and truth. We must bravely share our faith with grace and truth. And we're going to take this text as a testimony. I'd love to dig in and preach it as if it was, but we're just using it as a testimony. And uh, hopefully I'll get to preach it again soon, um, verse by verse. But here's what it says. The Apostle Paul uh, is in Athens. He was left there because, in, in verse uh, 16, he was left there waiting for Silas and Timothy. He's going around the ancient world talking about Jesus. And, he, you know, things change. There's a riot in one city and a revival in the next. He's here, he's there, and he ends up in Athens, the Greek center of power and art and science and philosophy. And here's the Apostle Paul alone, like just walking the streets. And it says in verse 16, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. His Walking around Athens and seeing idols everywhere. You know, Greek gods, Roman gods, and, you know, and just looking around. And it says his spirit was provoked within him. As he saw, the city was full of idols. The first thing you can jot down is this. Paul had a heart for people in other religions. Paul had a heart for people in other religions. His spirit was provoked. When we see someone who has another faith, another religion, our heart should be for them. Our spirit should be provoked within us to try and reach them, talk to them, help them. We can't just be like, well, they'll be okay probably. That's not what we're given here. His spirit was provoked. Verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue, that's with his Jewish brethren, with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So he's just walking around. He's at Costco. He's at Walmart. He's at Aldi. He's, he's in the city square and he's just talking to people about Jesus. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Now you've got the smart people showing up. These people are the educators, the thinkers, the philosophers, and they're asking Paul about what he's talking about. Some said, what does this babbler wish to say? So some people are making fun of him. Others said he seems to be a preacher of a foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. This is like, this is like coming to Yale. Like, you know what? Why don't you come on in? We're having a big student assembly. These are like the brightest people in the world brought him to the Areopagus and said, may we know this new teaching that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. How would you feel if now you're talking about Jesus in front of the smartest people alive? Like, <coughs> um, I didn't have time to prepare for this exam. Can I just go home for a little while and write some notes down? Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. It's like one big university campus, right? So Paul, standing there in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So he's walking around, he sees, you know, Zeus, he sees Hermes, he sees all the gods, you know, Artemis, he sees, and, then, and, and then, because they have so many of them, there was this one particular shrine, and it said, to an unknown god, and it was just like open, and it's like, maybe we missed one, let's just, let's just put to an unknown god, because we don't want to make him mad, you know, we've got like 5,000, but maybe there's 5,001, and Paul saw that, and he's like, Bingo, that's where I'm going to talk to him. To an unknown God. He said, I saw that, and what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. If you're listening carefully, he just talked about origin, where things came from. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." He just talked about meaning. Why are we here? 
And he's quoting their own writers back to them. Verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now he's talking about morality. These are the four big categories we've learned. Origin, meaning, morality. And then guess where he's going next? destiny because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead some mocked him what do you think that sound like just mock me just for a second go ahead just for a second i hope it felt great i hope some of you've been wanting to do that a long time just make fun of your pastor you were real quick to take me up on that offer. Do it one more time. Just mock me. Come on. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing the Bible, right? And they're like, meh. See how you can't control how people respond? Some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. Some men joined him and believed. Among them also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Some of them came to Christ. Like some of them became Christians, and a church was born in that city that day. We learned so much from Paul, but write this down. Paul carefully understood their religion. He had a heart for people in other religions. He carefully understood their religion. Hey, I've been walking around, seeing what you guys worship. I saw this one altar, and I want to talk to you about that. By the way, a few of your own writers said this and said this. Hey, this is what, this is what it means. Do you see how he did that? He carefully understood their religion. This is a very apologetic form of evangelism we're observing. And then jot this down. He steered the conversation toward Jesus. He steered the conversation toward Jesus. For those of you who've been around the church for a while, he also followed this format that we've learned before. The big questions in the world, the big four, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. He took them right through each one. These are very effective ways to share your faith. So we must bravely share our faith with grace and truth. And you aren't going to find yourself in the middle of Athens, one of the greatest cities on earth, talking to the smartest people alive. I don't know. Maybe you're going to talk to a Starbucks barista this week, or you know, maybe you're going to talk to a clerk at a you know, or a waitress at a restaurant. I don't know, but you will have a divine opportunity to talk about your faith. And when someone says all religions teach the same thing, you have to be ready for that. Paul went straight at it. He's talking to people who had a different religion than him, and he went straight at it, and he directed people toward Jesus. Now, based on his example, we're going to learn how we might have a conversation like he did, where you share your faith when there's kind of religious diversity going on, right? So the second point you can write down is this. Um, all religions teach very different things. All religions teach very different things. Most of the time, I advise you to ask a question so if someone's like, well, all religions basically teach the same thing. This is, this is different. When someone says that, I recommend you say, all religions actually teach very different things. It's okay to do that. Because if you ask them a question, the rabbit trails are endless. They likely don't have a very large knowledge of other religions. You likely don't have a very large knowledge of other religions. Somehow you'll be talking about Confucianism, and you're like, I don't even know where we're at in the conversation. So it's best to say... All religions actually teach very different things. And then to share a few things you've learned about how religions are different. Remember, we're going to be courageous, right? We're going to be uh, clear, but we're also going to be compassionate. So we're not making fun of other religions. But you can share a few things you've learned about other religions to show that you're a listener, okay? So all religions teach very different things. Here's some pictures of some Eastern religions like Hinduism and Buddhism. We'll talk about them first. Hinduism and Buddhism re reflect a worldview that is very different from Christianity. Um, and so whether, whether on the left there, it's Buddha who they're gathering to worship. On the bottom is a giant Buddhist festival. Or you've got one of the Hindu gods in the middle along with a Hindu festival of colors. Uh, looks like a pretty fun faith, you know, over on the right there. Um, you know, Hinduism and Buddhism would represent Eastern religions that are very, very different from each other and from Christianity. Hinduism began in 1700 BC. Buddhism began in 600 BC. Buddhism is a rejection of Hinduism. 
right? So Hinduism started, and then uh, Buddha was like, I'm out, and started his new thing. They're very different. The one is actually a rejection of the other. So they're not the same, and the thing is, they can't be true at the same time, because they teach very different things. Now, what is it that these Eastern religions teach? Well, you can write this down. They believe the universe is an illusion. The universe is an illusion. Um, the way that they understand reality is completely different from how you understand reality. Okay. Now, in the Judeo-Christian worldview, we believe God created the world physically. It's real. It's, it's here. It's physical. Uh, in the Eastern mindset, it's not real. The, the world is made up of spirit. Okay. So this is a spiritual illusion, but what's real is invisible. The spirit realm is all there is. This is not what you think it is. In fact, the whole quest of these faiths is to get your eyes off of this because it's not real and to start focusing on the spirit world that is real. Fundamentally, you can see how religions teach very different things. Would you agree? I think the world is real. I think we're here in a physical world, not in a spiritual illusion. And in the Eastern worldviews, they disagree about the fabric of reality. Okay, so the universe is an illusion. Jot this down. Reincarnation mystically regulates right and wrong. So you're back, maybe for the 500th or the 2,000th time, we don't know. You're back, but they would teach you've lived countless previous lives. And um, your life is very strictly regulated in a, in a moral manner by a mystical force known as karma. If something bad happens to you, it was destined to happen to you. If something good happens to you, it was destined to happen to you. Why? Because of karma. Who runs karma? There's no answer. It's mystical. It's this, it's, you can't define it. It just, it just happens. It just is. Therefore, the moral universe is uh, determined and arbitrary. Now, that's not what Christians believe. We don't believe this force decides if people suffer or thrive in this life. We think God does that. You can see how they're very different. And they can't both be true at the same time. So they would believe reincarnation mystically regulates right and wrong. And then jot this down. In the end, destiny, you'll either merge with divine energy or you'll be blown out like a candle. So uh, Hinduism would teach that they're Behind this world is this sea of divine energy, and you are divine. And if you get up, you know, the karma ladder enough, then finally you'll exit the cycle. You will merge with that bright, shining, peaceful, joyful sea of energy. Uh, you no longer exist as an individual, but you are swallowed up in spiritual light. That's the end of it all. You are Now, Buddhists teach, no. Buddhists say behind this world is nothing nothing at all. When you realize that and you finally understand that you've been tricked and you free your heart of wanting anything and everything, only then will you find peace. How? How? By being blown out like a candle. You're gone into nothingness. Those are two very different portraits of the afterlife or the next world. Um, so the universe is an illusion. Reincarnation mystically regulates right and wrong. And in the end, you'll merge with divine energy or be blown out like a candle. Now, I've had great conversations with Hindus and Buddhists. A Hindu cab driver uh, was taking me to the airport one day, and he had the dot on his forehead, and we were talking. And I said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, you're a Hindu, right? Yeah. I said, have you gone to school? Have you taken biology, physics? Oh, yeah. I said, how do you, how do you um, deal with the reality that science has demonstrated that there is a real physical universe that came into existence and follows certain uh, specific laws, and you can divide it up and see that it's real, yet your faith teaches you that it's not real. See how I asked him a question? And he said, that's a good question. I've been thinking about that a lot. Now we're going to have a good talk. Now, I could have been like, karma's dumb. I could have been like, I disagree with you. I could have been all judgy. You know what I'm saying? What did I do? I said, how are you processing this problem in your faith? And he was thinking about it. Why? Because he's been convinced there is a real physical universe that came into existence, and it's here, and you can pick it apart and see it's not a spiritual illusion. But his faith is teaching him a different thing, and he doesn't know what to do with that. We had a great conversation. It was awesome. A Buddhist woman came to our church once, and I was talking to her in the back, educated woman who's got a great life that she built. 
She talked about her Buddhist faith, and I said, do you really believe that we're here right now talking? Because in your faith, it teaches that nothing exists. She goes, yeah. I said, we're real. Yeah. And we're talking. Yeah. I said, well, how do you deal with the reality that your faith says that's not true? That there's just nothing. And the highest point in your life is going to be when you finally wake up to the reality that nothing is real. We had a good talk. You see how I'm using what's in their faith to ask them a question? Because they see reality completely differently from you do, from what, the way you see it. Um, it's important to try and paint other religions in the best possible light. Why do they believe these things that sound strange to you and me? It's because they're trying to fix a giant problem in the world called suffering. The world is full of pain. Pain, great pain and poverty and starvation and war and death and blood and broken bones and pain, pain, pain. How do we explain the problem of pain? Where does it all come from? Hey, this, this is a problem we all need to solve. You have to understand that Hinduism came along and tried to explain where all the pain came from. Well, maybe you just messed up in all these previous lives. And maybe there's hope that you can get your act together and escape the cycle. Well, it sounds like they're actually trying to solve a pretty good problem, right? And then the Buddhists come along and say, well, what are you going to Costco again for? Just stop shopping and you'll be happy and stop wanting anything. And then maybe you'll finally find some peace and you'll just get out of this crazy need to have an infinite number of things in this world. They're trying to solve a problem that we all have. It's important to know that. They think if you just be good, be religious, be devout, level up spiritually, then you'll reach the end and your pain and suffering will be over. It's important to tie the conversation in to that. Okay, so I think we would all agree that these religions teach very different things from what you and I believe. Agreed? They teach very different things from each other. So saying all religions basically teach the same thing, you could pretty much just say they don't, but let's talk about it. All right, let's talk about biblically-based religions. Biblically-based religions like Judaism and Islam teach different things, too. Here's some pictures. Uh, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity all came from the same root, Abraham. So you're talking 4,000 years ago. Abraham was told, go to a land I will show you. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And uh, Judaism then was fulfilled in Christ. Christianity then came out of the Jewish root. 600 years after Christ, Islam was born. 600 years later, 600 miles away, Islam was born. And they follow more of the path uh, of, uh, you know, Abraham and Isaac, but also Ishmael. They believe that the chosen people are through Ishmael. So they come from Abraham, but they think that the promises flow through Ishmael. So they already teach very different things historically. The people of God come from Ishmael or they come from Isaac. Which is it? It can't be both. It's very different. In addition, they teach very different things about Jesus. So jot this down. They teach Jesus was either a prophet or a false prophet. So Islam will say Jesus was a prophet. Judaism will say he was a false prophet. Okay, well, we think he's the Messiah. So is he a prophet, a false prophet, or a Messiah? These are very different concepts. They are not the same, and they can't be true at the same time. They don't go together. Jot this down. They teach he was not the Son of God. In Judaism and Islam, there is not. God is not a father like that of anyone. The most prominent scripture in the Quran says God is not a father and he has no son. You have to recite that by faith. So he was not the Son of God. And jot this down. He did not save humanity by dying on a cross. The Jews teach, maybe he did live, maybe he did die on the cross. He didn't do anything there, but die. And this is very crucial to your understanding if you have a conversation with a Muslim. No Muslim believes Jesus died on the cross. Okay, listen, I need to say that again. Zero Muslims believe Jesus died on the cross. Because God wouldn't do that to a prophet. So God either fooled the guards and sent someone, Judas or whoever, as a substitute... Or God mystically grabbed Jesus and took him up to heaven before he died. But listen, they don't, no Muslims believe Jesus died on the cross. How essential is it to your faith that Jesus died on the cross? We don't have a faith without that. Do you see how they're different? 
And do you see how they can't be true at the same time? Either he did die on the cross or he didn't. You can't say, well, it's basically the same thing. Um, so this is very different. I've had great conversations with Muslims and Jewish people. There was a young Jewish man in our church who was dating somebody. Uh, they wanted to get married, and I met with them, I think at McDonald's. Um, and, and I was like, all right, tell me about your background. He said, oh, I'm Jewish. And I said, okay, you want to marry a Christian girl? We got to talk about that. And he goes, well, I know Christianity is true. I was like, okay, why haven't you gotten baptized yet? He's like, well, I'm a, afraid of what my mom is going to think. I'm like, okay, let's talk about that. I told him the gospel. I told him about this. And I said, so do you think if you die, you're ready to go to heaven? He said, oh, no, I know I'm going to hell. I said, okay, what are we going to do about that? He's like, I don't know. I said, well, I think you should get saved. And then you should go talk to your mom about getting saved. He's like, I know, but I'm nervous. I'm like, well, be nervous about trying to get her to heaven. Let's be nervous about that. And so he agreed that he was going to pray to receive Christ, get saved, and then go talk to his mom about Jesus. So cutest thing, the two of them went to the forest and prayed together, and he got saved. And I baptized both of them, and then I married both of them. And he's still reaching out to his mom, trying to tell her about Jesus. Jewish kid gets saved in our church. So awesome. Talked to so many Muslim people. Uh, I did a, somebody in our church died, and he was very um, uh, faithful in reaching out to his Muslim neighbors. So his Muslim neighbor dad and son came to his funeral, and it was at Willow Creek Church. Uh, so there I was. I preached the gospel, talked about how Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. The Muslim guy comes up to me after the service. They're very willing to have conversations, very direct, blunt, open conversations. So he and his son walk up at a funeral, and I said, oh, hey, so great you're here, your neighbor. Uh, what did you think about the sermon? And he goes, 99% of what you said, X, wrong. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> and we had a great conversation about Jesus and, and how he gets saved and works-based righteousness and where they find peace. Uh, no Muslim knows if they're going to heaven. They can't know that. They can't know that. They don't know if they're going to heaven. They just do their best. And this is the same thing with uh, Judaism. They do their best and then they try and stack up enough righteousness to hopefully gain access into heaven. They follow uh, special prayers, holidays, compliance to a strict set of law and morals, uh, rituals, all aimed at being good, godly, religious people who work their way into God's favor. Uh, but Muslims can have no confidence that they've gotten there. They can't know. Um, so they're trying to solve a key human problem. Remember Hinduism and Buddhism? They're trying to solve the problem of suffering. Uh, Jewish people and uh, Muslims are trying to solve the problem of uh, submission to God. Okay, they share your view that the world is going down the drain and people are not living right and there's outrage. What do they do? They try and get compliance to a moral code and to a holy God through the law, the Torah, or through the Quran. And in the um, Muslim world, they don't ask, they enforce. Okay, so you, in, in all of the Muslim countries, uh, conversion to Christianity is punished by death. Okay, they do not have freedom. You cannot convert. You will comply or you will die. You, what are they trying to solve, though? They're trying to solve the moral problems in the world. People are sinful. They're not submitting to God. Therefore, they're probably not going to go to heaven. We'll take care of that. The Jews bring the law, um, and in Islam, they bring the, the Quran. They're trying to solve a problem that is a good problem to try and solve. People are living uh, insanely immoral lives. But they're doing it through law, through works. Okay, so we talked about Eastern religions, biblically-based religions. Uh, let's talk about cults and offshoots for a minute. Cults and offshoot religions teach wildly different things. You can write that down. Wildly different things. All religions basically teach the same thing. Well, no, Hinduism and Buddhism, very different. Uh, no, Judaism and Islam, very different. And now let's talk about the cults. Okay, way different. Way, 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 way different. Here's pictures of the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses. These faiths sprang out of Christianity, and they do not teach the same thing. So Jehovah's Witnesses, jot this down, believe that Jesus is the Archangel Michael. They don't lead with that, but if you ask them, they have to tell you. Usually the trainee doesn't know it. The, the leader does. The trainee doesn't. So I'll say, do you believe Jesus is the Archangel? And the trainee will go like this, and the trainer will go like this, and then they look at each other. <laughs> They don't lead with that. I've had great conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses. Once, it was four on one in a Starbucks. Four of them came up to me while I was planning my sermon. Is the Bible the only book you read? 
I said, are you Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah. I said, let's talk. It was a rumble in the Starbucks. It was great. Not so many Mormons, but Mormons, uh, jot this down, Mormons believe God is a good Mormon from another universe. All right, so listen clearly. Some man in a different universe really behaved, okay? So he was given this whole universe, and now he's God. Okay, is that what you believe? Is that what you believe? No, I'm not mocking it. I'm saying it's not the same. And it can't be true at the same time as my faith, because I think God is God. I don't think he's a well-behaved Mormon from a different universe. And um, the thing is, if you behave well enough, one day you could be put in charge of your old universe. Oh, I don't believe that either. Okay? So very different, can't be true at the same time. So I think we've established... Now, now they're trying to uh, solve a key human problem. We can't access the spiritual realm. We need someone to help us. We need a key, a book, someone to open it up and show us what's in the spiritual realm. Hey, we want that too. We just don't think that this is the way to get there. So when it comes to, do all religions teach the same thing? No, it's okay to say all religions teach very different things and then share a few things that you've learned. That'll keep the conversation going without offending the person or making them feel dumb. Okay, here's some celebrity quotes on this type of topic. Uh, because it's really big. Um, so Linda McCartney said, I've always hated religion. It's the most guilt-ridden, horrible thing. My God is better than yours. And I'm going to fight you and kill you because of your religion. I think it's just a sick idea. You know how people are colorblind when it comes to other people? I mean, hopefully they are. Well, I'm religious blind. So people might just try and stay there. Well, you know what? I just don't care about a person's religion. David Bowie said, religion is for people who fear hell. Spirituality is for people who've been there. That's really deep. Uh, he's talking about how really beneath religion, there are key, deeper desires that everyone is trying to cope with. He's right. Uh, Gandhi said the essence of all religions is one, only their approaches are different. Well, if Gandhi says it, uh, and then um, Kathy Ladman said, all religions are the same. Religion is basically guilt with different holidays. And all the former Catholics said, amen. <laughs> it's just very guilt-driven. I was there. What do we do with all this? When people say all religions are the same, we agree that they share a common search for meaning and purpose, and we love discussing what different people believe, but we have to land somewhere. So jot this down. All religions teach different, different things about Jesus. What do you believe? That's a great way to keep it going. Well, you know, I think that everyone has to find their own spiritual path. Well, all religions teach different things. Well, I know, and then you could say, you know, I think all religions teach different things about Jesus. What do you believe? You got to get to Jesus. You got to turn the conversation to Jesus or you're going to get lost in, in 4,000 years of history, right? All religions teach different things about Jesus. What do you believe? This is how you keep the conversation going. And then hopefully you can get to the part where you say this I believe Jesus is the path to peace and moral perfection. These are now the bones of what these other religions are built to try and give you. And we believe only Jesus can give them to you. I believe Jesus is the path to peace and moral perfection. Hey, look, I'm not going to get there any other way. I want peace. I want moral perfection. I want it in my heart. I want it in my world. I think Jesus is the only way to peace and moral perfection. Romans 4, 5, we'll put it up on the screen. It says this, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. How can we become morally perfect? Only through faith in Jesus Christ. Not works. It's not works. We don't earn it. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the path to peace with God and moral perfection. This is the doctrine of imputed righteousness. We want what the Hindus are seeking. We want what the Muslims are desiring. Moral perfection. We believe that, but we only can get that when we are given the perfect righteousness of the perfect person, Jesus Christ. It's the only way to get there. Um, all right, jot this down. I believe Jesus is the path to a full knowledge of God, of the full knowledge of God. Well, how do we know? Behind the curtain, how many gods are there? That's what the Greeks would ask, and the, you know, the Mormons would be like, man, in the spiritual realm... All these things are happening. How do I peek behind the spiritual curtain? Well, we believe that heaven came down in Jesus Christ. Jesus would talk freely about what he saw and heard in his Father's presence. He's from heaven. 
He's from there. He came from there, another world. So Jesus is the only path to a full knowledge of God. Jesus is the full and final disclosure of God to man. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the A to the Z, the alphabet of God. He alone reveals all that we need to know about the spiritual realm, which is why Colossians 2.9 says, In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. It's all in him. In that manger in Bethlehem, heaven came down. Everything and anything you ever wanted or needed to know about the spiritual realm is right there. You don't need a mystical icon. You don't need a magic painting. You don't need a special person who's got some things that he found out. He cracked the code. You don't need any of that. It's all in Christ. All of it. Jesus is the path to a full knowledge of God. And jot this down. I believe Jesus is the path to paradise. He's the only way to get where we're going. Every religion is taking you somewhere. Jesus is the only path to paradise. What did he say to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. No teacher on earth can make that promise to you. They cannot lead you there. Only Jesus walked those dark shadowy trails of death and came back with the keys for you. He's the only one who can take you there. And listen, I need to tell you, if you have followed any other faith, if you have trusted any other teacher or sage or magi or whatever, if you're holding anyone else's hand, they will depart from you the moment you die. Only Jesus can continue your journey and take you to paradise forever. He's the only one. F.W. Borum, a final quote, he said something that was amazing. He said, every man finds in Jesus exactly what he most needs. It doesn't matter who you're talking to. It doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter what they believe. You can tell them about Jesus. And you can have a great spiritual conversation. You don't have to have all the answers. You're probably a little overwhelmed. Like, whoa, that was a little hard to follow. You don't have to be like me. I've had world religions classes. I have my master's degree in, you know, theology and stuff like that. You don't need that. You don't need any of that. You can have a great spiritual conversation with people if you just stay courteous and clear and ask the good questions and get to Jesus you can do it. All right, I'd love to open it up for questions right now. Um, I need a volunteer to serve as my runner to, to bring this microphone to people who have a question. Um, so, uh, all right, come on up, Big Dave. All right, if you have a question, now this can be a question you have or a question someone in your life has, but raise your hand up if you would like to ask a question right now. Uh, and how do I talk about this, or how do I answer this? Put your hand up right now if you've got a question, and Dave's coming to you. Right, over there. Okay. we got a question. Well, it's not so much question, but somebody that I was talking to two weeks ago playing tennis, and he's a doctor, and his brother's a pastor, and he believes in everything, but he's had a lot of major health issues and now he's been diagnosed with four types of different cancer. Mm. So I invited him to church and he said, you know, Yvette, thanks, but you know, I believe angels have watched over me and I believe in angels. Mm. I didn't know where to go with this because it's just so bizarre to me. Yeah. I was just stuck. That's so a great I just one. said, if you change your mind, you mm. know. All right, let's talk about that. It's a great question. I grew up when there was a show called Touched by an Angel yes. on TV. They're, they make calendars with baby angels on them, right? Uh, you know, baby angel calendar. Angels are big. Angels are big among religious people, Catholic people. Angels are huge. Um, You've got to figure out a little more. I'm guessing maybe he has a Catholic background. I'm not sure. Uh, if, it is, if it is that type of background, um, in a faith like Catholicism, you're taught that... Uh, Grace is something you lose every day. You, you, there's no such thing as saving grace. You're never saved. Okay, it's very important to know that. So where can you get the grace? Well, you've got to go to church, and you've got to take communion. That's where you get the grace. You have to go to get it. And if you are forbidden from communion, you can't go to heaven. The grace is in the elements. It's very important to understand that. Because there's such a grace depravity, and you run out every day, people try and get it in as many different places as they can. 
Angels are a big source. Well, if I could just have angels around me, taking care of me, they start reaching everywhere they can. The saints, the angels, the, how can I get more grace? Because it's all gone every day, right? So we believe that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you are saved by grace once and for all. You will never lose that salvation if you're truly saved. Therefore, you don't have to run around, I lost it, I lost it. And you don't have to try and earn it again. In Jesus, he has given you all the grace. So everything you do is out of the reality that you are already saved. It's not out of the fear that maybe you're not saved. It's really huge to know that. So I would say that in that situation, I would say angels serve a key role in God's plan, but they are only his servants and his messengers. Yeah, they're only his servants and his messengers. And praying sometimes will welcome some angel doing something. But really, God sent his son. And the book of Hebrews is the key there. His son is greater than all the angels. What do you think about his son? Is Jesus helping you? That's what I would do. I'd say, is, is Jesus helping you? Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, family rivalries can hurt. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But that's the way to answer that one. Get off of angels, get on to Jesus. Okay, another question. Put your hand up if you have one. All right. Something I hear with people my age typically in 20s and 30s is that truth is relative. So what's true for you is different than what's true for me. And so um, we can all have different truths and it's still the same thing. So yeah, your religion teaches something different than mine, but you know, truth is just whatever it is for you, and maybe we'll all end up in the same place. Who knows how, mm-hmm. how to handle that conversation of there's only one truth, there's only one way, but how do you convince somebody that when they're taught to believe, like, we don't want to shake, shake anything up. Everybody's truth is their own. Yeah, depending on your relationship with the person, if it's someone you know really well, you can get a little more forceful with them, and you can say, you really think that... Uh, all of the truths, you can just pick one. You know, some of them are really weird. Some of them are sinful. Some of them are criminal. There's like several cult series on Netflix right now about really weird criminal cults, people teaching they're the Messiah, taking advantage of people. Um, So are they all valid? They'll have, they will have to say, well, no, not all of them. They will have to say that or they will have to say cults are okay. Okay. (laughs) So just push them a little and they will come off the all roads lead to God. Okay. Uh, Once they come off of that, you have to say, well, I agree with that too. They're not all valid. So how do we pick which ones are? Then you start talking about their differences and you sort the laundry. Okay, you sort the laundry. They just want to dump the hamper and be like, they're all the same color. No, no, no. You got to sort through. And ultimately, you do have to pick one. If you don't pick one, based on what we just talked through today, they have to live with such rational contradictions. So Jesus died on the cross and he didn't die on the cross. How does that make sense? What they'll ultimately do is try and say, well, it's if the person truly believes it, then it's real to them. Yeah, but believing something in your heart doesn't make it true. I can believe I won the lottery. It doesn't make something true. Just, you just keep pushing gently. Uh, but the bottom line is what they're saying makes no sense. It doesn't make sense. They can't all be true. You really do have to pick one. <clears throat> all right, next question. Hand up, maybe on this side of the room. And, oh, we got a hand over here. All right. <clears throat> Burning some calories. You're going to... Yeah, go ahead. So people online can hear it, though. Oh, good. Yeah. So my question is about purgatory after death. Yeah. It seems to be like some type of review process. Right. Several-day review process. Yeah, purgatory. Uh, it's a doctrine invented by men uh, in, in the Catholic Church, not in the Bible. No, no mention of purgatory in the Bible. It's created later. Um, it really is a tool for the church to continue the process of regulating your eternal life. Uh, it, at times in the Catholic Church's history, it was a fundraiser, you know, um, you know, that throw the money in because your relatives right now are stuck. So uh, it has been abused, but some people do think maybe there's bonus time. Maybe in the next life I can work off my sins. The Bible teaches the opposite, right? Uh, you, man is destined to die once and then to face judgment. That's all you get. This is your chance. There is no afterlife. Steve Jobs famously said, I don't know what happens after this life. I'm 50-50 on whether or not there's an afterlife. He's 100% now, but he left this life saying 50-50. 
He said, he said, I think maybe it's just like an off switch, just off and you're gone. So don't leave this world uncertain and do not think that you're going to get bonus time, extra innings, or any form of purgatory in the next life. The Bible teaches against that. We got time for one or two more. We got another one. These are great. I'm really trying to model for you that church is the place where you can ask the toughest questions. Got one more over here. Oh, in the back there. Okay, cool. If your question doesn't get answered, you can email it in to me this week, too. Go ahead. So how would you explain a Messianic Jew, someone who does believe in Jesus but also practices the Jewish faith? Yeah, that's a great question. If a person gets saved, there are uh, many elements of the Jewish faith that are pretty compatible with Christianity. That's why in the New Testament, Paul could go to the temple. He could make a vow. He could give a sacrifice. Because Jesus fulfilled Judaism, um, those things looked ahead to Jesus coming, but the early church saw it as like, now they look back to what Jesus did. So Day of Atonement, could they bring a sacrifice? Could they talk about the lamb? And the, Absolutely. Like, that's what it was all about. So as long as they're looking back to what Jesus did or ahead to what he's going to fulfill when he returns, uh, there's really no problem with that. It's when you get into things like the role of the law, uh, some of the Old Testament commandments, do I have to keep those? They have to have kind of a New Testament understanding of those things because we are free from the law because Christ fulfilled it. Those things don't become a way to get into God's favor anymore. Okay, one more. Who's going to ask the last question? Oh, right over there. Oh, we got two more. Go ahead. Okay, we two more. Four more. Which one? Oh, three more. Okay. This we'll kind of piggybacks off the purgatory question, but I feel like I should know the answer to this. But what do we believe as Christians? Do we believe that when we pass away, that we're immediately brought into glory in heaven, or that we stay asleep until the second coming of Christ, and then we're brought up? So. Yeah, the Bible teaches, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Most likely that means spiritually you are with Christ in paradise. Uh, but it's heaven and hell are not done yet. So there is a provisional time. Um, when you talk about the rich man and Lazarus, there was some dialogue between people who were not in God's presence and people who were. There's some sort of a togetherness. We don't know if that's accurate or if it's just kind of uh, allegory. But there's an understanding right now that when you leave this life, you, a permanent marker, you are either in one place or the other. And then after the final judgment in the end, those places become their fullest form and everyone who belongs in those places end up there. So um, they're already there, but it's not yet culminated. Now your body goes into the ground, and we believe in the bodily resurrection of the dead. So there's, we don't know what it's going to be like, but it's possible for your spirit to survive without your body. Uh, that's what angels do. Angels can take on bodies in the Bible and then, you know, get rid of them. So it's going to be this feeling like we're not quite all there yet. And then when Jesus, uh, with his voice, calls back the dead to life, that's when there's a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven is physical. It's a physically redeemed, spiritually fused place. Um, and it's going to be perfection forever. We don't know how all that works, but those are the steps in, in the order. So I hope that makes sense. You are immediately in the presence of the Lord spiritually. There's coming a physical resurrection of the dead. And in the end of the end, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. That's your dwelling forever. It's spiritual and it's physical at the same time. And I don't know how. <laughs> All right, we got two more quick ones. Go ahead, over here. Put your hand up if you had your hand up. There you go. Um, what about, like, the people don't believe in any of it? Like, yeah. atheists. Like, what if they're like, none of it's real, we're just here, science you know, like all that. Like what if they're just like, nope, it's all a myth. It's all, like they try to debunk it and be like, how do you know it's real? How do you know it's real? Like, Yeah, that's really good. Um, when it comes to, I don't believe in anything. Uh, I said this last week in one of the services, an atheist cannot say there's no God because they would have to have perfect full knowledge to say that. If they know there's no God, they have to have omniscience. Guess what that makes them? God. <laughs> they have to have, claim to have God knowledge to say there's no God. They have, and the uh, most popular atheists today, like Richard Dawkins and all of them, uh, they will not say, I'm 100% sure there's not a God. They'll be like 99.9999%, but they leave a little window. <laughs> uh, so they can't say, therefore, the fact that there is a possibility of a God, they should really figure out, based on the evidence, what they think about the evidence. They can't just say, no, they actually should give it a fair hearing. And I would just ask that, are you willing to give it a fair hearing? keep the conversation going. All right, last one. Go ahead. I've been asked 
how do I know the Bible isn't just a storybook written by some person? That's great. Last week, if you missed it, was about the Bible. How do we know the Bible's not just a storybook written, you know, by, by whatever? There are many different ways to defend the Bible. Um, you can talk about the integrity of the authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You can talk about uh, their purpose, their lives. You can talk about the reliability of Scripture, 5,000 Greek manuscripts that survived, 8,000 Latin manuscripts that survived. There's plenty of copies. You don't have to doubt how it was passed through the ages. Um, there's also extra-biblical authors, Roman historians, Jewish historians, Roman governors, Samaritan historians. They talk about the Bible. So however people challenge the Bible, there's always a really great defense. But if they just want to say, I just think it's made up, well, it's the job of the Bible to prove in the hearts of the readers that it is the Holy Spirit speaking to them. So what I would say is, yeah, that's a possibility, um, but boy, there's just so much uh, you know, all these authors over all this period of time, one central message, a Messiah, there's miracles in there, this history, you really think it's just all made up? Like, there's a lot of different stuff in there. It can't just all be made up. Ultimately, you're trying to say, why don't you give it a chance? Why don't you just read it and invite, if God is real and if the Bible is real, invite it to, to prove. You know, and the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. That's where God takes over. And that's where God proves that it is not just made up. It is very real. Yeah. Well, I hope this is edifying for you. If your question didn't get asked, you can email it to me. Um, and each week we're going to talk about things like this, like doesn't science disprove God? Uh, what about suffering? Why is there so much pain in the world? What about hell? How can I follow a God who sends people to hell? So that is, that is where we're going with this series. Um, let's close in prayer. And I think uh, the worship team's coming back up for one more song. Um, so let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much because uh, we can love you with all of our mind, all of our mind, heart, body, and soul. Uh, but with our mind, we pray that you would just teach us what it means to love you with our mind, teach, teach us what it means to share our faith with courage and conviction and compassion. And this week, open doors so that we can have great spiritual conversations with people where we can name the name of Christ with courage and pride and hopefully help others, regardless of what path they're on spiritually, find that it only in Christ is the peace that they are looking for. Save souls through our best efforts, even if we feel like we're not able to talk about this stuff. Use us to tell other people about Jesus. And we pray all of this in your mighty name. Amen.